Once again, just want to bid you a warm welcome to Kingdom 101. And we want to say hi again to our SoundCloud listeners also. Always good to have you follow along and we welcome you to this evening's teaching also. And so let's begin. Tonight we will be getting through to the last session or the last teaching on Matthew chapter 12. It's taken us quite a while to get here. And if no one is excited, I am. That we're finally finishing chapter 12. The title is called Family First. I want you to imagine, let's say I'm preaching as I'm doing now and I'm teaching. And as I'm doing this, my phone rings and mom calls. And it's a missed call, right? Because I'm either distracted or I'm focused on what I'm doing. And because it's a missed call, dad calls. And then it's another missed call. And then as I continue, uh, somehow they call one of you or a few of you, and they hope to get my attention through some of you here. You do your part, and you try to convey the message, and you say, hey, your dad and your mom, they're trying to call you. And I look at you, and I answer you by asking in return, who is my dad, and who is my mom? Now, what would you think of me? What would be your impression of me? And I'm thankful my parents have not left the room yet. <laughs> well, what you think of me would really depend on the context, wouldn't it? Right? It would depend on the situation. And we are presented with a similar challenge as we read today's passage. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 to 50. And for the first part, this is how it reads. While Jesus was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside, seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? You know, when you read this passage, I don't know about you, but I get many questions usually when I'm reading scriptures. Why were Jesus' mother and brothers wanting to speak to him? Or you could ask, why did Jesus answer the way he did? Was he being rude to his mother? Was there sibling rivalry? Was he trying to ignore his brothers? Shouldn't it be family comes first? And is this the right way to treat family? And so as we look at this word called family, and for us to have a better appreciation to help us to learn more about this passage, I will be taking us through a broad understanding of family in biblical times, just to set the tone, understanding Jesus' Jewish family. Before then, we can understand Jesus' kingdom family. And then we answer the question, which family then comes first? And so if you join me before we get into all that, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for Scripture, Lord. We want to thank you that you've never left us alone. You've always given us your words so that you can teach us and we can learn. But Lord, we also acknowledge that we cannot understand this with our own intellect. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you teach us? And so that we can understand the heart of our Father and the heart of our King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's begin by understanding the family in biblical times. 
You know, our modern understanding of the family is usually one of a nucleus family comprising of the father, the mother, and children, right? Just very simply, that would be family to us. And then when we say extended family, we would then include like grandparents, other relations, like um, uncles, aunts, cousins, and so on. However, back in those days, the word family actually has a much broader perspective and understanding in those times. The Greek word we use to denote family is really oikos. This is the closest term to denote family, and it usually means a house or simply a household, just a group of people living together for a common purpose. Now, just by that definition, you will then see it's not just parents and children or relationships by blood relation, but you can include servants, slaves, Anything else that comes into the household would be oikos. Another word in Latin would be familia, which we then get this word family, or domus. Now, it has the same connotation where it refers to a group or community that comes together. And domus really means house or domestic. And so it's the same context as oikos, Even possessions that come within that household is considered as part of these terms as well. So as these groups come together, the one that is in charge, they report to, in inverted commas, is this person called the paterfamilias. That's the head of the household. This is the leader of the troop, and usually it is the father or the patriarch of that household. He exercises power over the entire household, And he wields so much power, he even includes life and death. He also institutes the structure. So a primary function of this kinship system is to create structure. And in this family or household, every person has his or her place and has a role. And with structure, obviously, comes control, right? Because you need to do certain things in a certain way. And that's what the households Um, would have structure and control, and this leader enforces that. Now, in a household, is also this thing called lineage. And so the individual is not just yourself. You are part of not just a family, but also part of a lineage, an entire line. So you don't exist only for yourself, and not only just for one little family. Everything comes into play when you talk about lineage. There's honor within the family, and so this is important subsequently for members of this household to then uphold a family honor. How? By behaving according to a family code or according to the system or the value or to protect the name of this family. And that's what the family in biblical times uh, would connote. Now, not very much different. Even as we listen to this, we can sort of uh, think of the families that we come from. And in these days, some of these things still hold true. Now, let's look at a Roman family versus a Jewish family. How are they different? Now, in the Roman family, this would be considered a type of a cradle for the entire state, the entire Roman Empire. Meaning to say that the family, it exists for the sake and even the function of the state. The goal of the household was to propagate the Roman Empire. And so household life was often structured for that purpose. Children in a Roman family, they were seen as future investments, as assets. 
And so if the family was running a business or doing something as a, as a unit, then the children was there primarily as a propagation for a person, presumably the leader of the household, for his societal, personal, cultural advancement and goals. So when you have children, it's not because you love kids, it's because they are there to serve a function for the name of the household, for the honour and for the perpetuation of their family line. Now, in a Roman family, adoption was also widely practiced. Again, adoption was not so much for the welfare as in you see someone who is homeless or doesn't have parents and you feel sorry, you want to adopt this person. It was not for that. The adoption was again for the perpetuation of the family line. Why? Because the more children you have, the more assets you will have, the more powerful you will be, and you can then run your own household or business or your affairs more efficiently. It increased your economic capacity. Now, if you compare what we have just shared with you, even to a Chinese family, you know, that's where we grew up in this culture, we have some of these thinking also, right? Now, in a more traditional family understanding. Let's look at the Jewish family then. A little bit different from the Greco-Roman culture, the Jewish family life centered around faith and the expression of that faith. The ethnic identity of a Jewish family was central to this Jewish faith. They have this line, this phrase, to be Jewish was to be a follower of Yahweh. So can you see the focus is very different. It's not for the empire or for the government. It was for God. Children were viewed as having a higher spiritual purpose and place, and they were not simply objects for a person's own quest for continuance or for power. And so when you look at these things here, then you begin to understand, because of their understanding of God's covenant with that lineage or that heritage, the focus of the Jewish family is very much about faith as well as an expression of that faith. And since God's covenant with His people extends through lineage, then this lineage is then represented and recorded in the Bible through genealogies and through families. That's where you see how important these records are in biblical records. So if you just compare the Roman and the Jewish family, you see certain differences. But as we bring it even to a modern understanding, we do see some observations, or we can make some observations and can see some implications. We have little bits of Jewish-Roman thought even in the way we understand family. For example, today, family is often regarded as a basic unit of society. And so if you want to break society, you break the family. Now, the converse is also true. As such, if you control the family, you control the society. Right? So many governmental policies would seek to ensure that national values and national agenda is taught to the children and to the family because when the family is in line with a national agenda, then a societal agenda would then be achieved. Now, since children are assets and determine the future, and that, that's why Governments are very concerned when, today, our total fertility rate is very low. All over the world, not just Singapore. We're not even at replacement rate. What's going to happen to that nation or what's going to happen to that country? School and education, if you own the children, you own the next generation. In fact, do you know some nations outlaw homeschooling? They're afraid that when you homeschool, you're teaching them things that the state does not want them to learn, you see. 
And in certain countries, it is actually against the law. In fact, private schools or religious schools are often monitored very, very closely. What are you teaching? You know, are you teaching correct things? Are you teaching national education or not? In fact, governmental policies serve to safeguard the future of the country and the nation. It's the same as Rome protecting the empire, per se. And so I suppose you can say, in inverted commas, Rome is still very much alive. Is it really for the interests of the country? Or is there perhaps a broader and a higher and a more global agenda? And so governments would be always concerned. It's not good if the individuals live only for themselves or they become too radical. Faith expressions are okay as long as it serves the secular state or the nation. So this is the family. Let's look at the Jewish family of Jesus before we come into the text for this evening. Now, if you look at Jesus, let's see what his family is all about. There are two genealogies. The first one we find in Matthew, which is our text for the longest time. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, it traces Jesus' genealogy to Abraham. He is the father or the patriarch of the Hebrews and later on of the Jews. And it traces also to David, another key figure, because the Messiah must come from this specific lineage. From David comes the Jews, and we see that the Jews were also Abraham's natural descendants. Now, we must make an interesting observation here. Jesus acknowledged that, that you are Abraham's descendants, but he challenged all the Jews in his day, are you living as true descendants of Abraham? Now, this is an interesting challenge, right? Because they were natural descendants of Abraham, but they were not living as true descendants of Abraham. In fact, Jesus said to them, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. That's in John chapter 6, verse 44. Now, don't miss this point here. Just claiming that someone is your father is not enough. Just appealing even to a lineage as important as it was to the Jews, Jesus says, look, something is not right. This is not enough. In fact, there has to be evidence or there must be fruit that you are really his descendants. And how do we see that? You should be doing the desires or the will of the Father. Now hold on to that thought, okay? Because we'll address this a little bit more later. The second genealogy we find in Luke, and this time it doesn't stop at Abraham. Remember, Matthew was written to the Jews. And so David and Abraham would have been good names for him to mention. But Luke was a Gentile and was probably written also to the Gentiles for them to understand. David is good, Abraham is good, but he goes all the way up to Adam. And then he says that this is son of Adam and then son of God. It traces all the way back to God, which means God is the father and he is the father of all. In fact, to be accurate, everyone is a children of God. But in the same way as Jesus challenged the Jews, sadly, we don't live as true descendants of God. But we live as fallen descendants like Adam. And that's why there's this term called, we are born in Adam. The entire human race, in Adam. So as we look at the family of Jesus and these two genealogies, we mustn't come away thinking, oh, it's all about the Jews, it's all about Abraham, it's all about Israel. We should have a more accurate picture. This is how it should look. 
that there are actually two distinct groups of people. By the time it came to Jesus, it had already become so distinct and so clear, that line. One group which we are exploring this evening, the family of Jesus, we call them God's covenant people. And these may be referred to also as the circumcised. They are Israel and they are Jews and they're called the chosen family. Now, how did this start? It started with Abraham, right? God called out this guy called Abraham. And it says to him, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation, a great family, a great people. And in you, all the families of the earth will or shall be blessed. And so this is one distinct group. God started with or God called Abraham out and started this family line called Israel and the Jews. These became the chosen ones, the elected ones, and they were supposed to be an example of God's family. Now, the other group then, in other words, it was Israel and the Jews versus the others, the rest of the world. The other group you and I know are called the uncircumcised, and these would be the Gentiles. Does it mean they can never come into God's family? Well, whenever anyone, if you read the Old Testament, whenever anyone believed in the God of Israel, they were accepted into the chosen family. But it was few and far in between. But there were. Right? So although we see two distinct groups, we mustn't miss this point. If anyone would believe in the God of Israel, they were able to come into their chosen family. And so with this understanding of family and Jesus' Jewish family, we're ready to now get back to our text. So while he was talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside seeking to speak to him. And then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. Let's ask this question first. Why did Mary and Jesus' brothers ask to speak with him? Remember the context of chapter 12. Don't miss this. We are still in chapter 12. Increasing opposition against Jesus. He was coming head to head with the Pharisees, with all the leaders. He was becoming more and more confrontational, more and more controversial. Word was getting around now. It's not looking good for Jesus. If it's not looking good for Jesus, it's not looking good for his family too. Bracket honor. Can you understand this? Right? So we need to see what the context is and what the whole cultural uh, meaning is also. Jesus is now coming into this kind of a squabble and a family is being implicated. Let's look at the brothers. We are told that actually his friends, not even his brothers first, his friends in Mark chapter 3, verse 21 says, Jesus, he is out of his mind. Jesus is mad. This guy is crazy. Now imagine you are a brother of a madman. Right? You, you think from a brother's point of view, right? It's like, hello, I go to school, everyone call me mad, you know, because you are mad. I mean, it's crazy to be associated with you. Can you sit further away? We don't want to go to the same kopitiam. Do I know you? No. <laughs> Stay away from me. They're like, oh, it's getting too much now. I think I better stop Jesus before he gets carried away. It's bringing more shame. It's bringing more dishonor to our family name. We're even told in John chapter 7, verse 5, that his brothers did not believe in him. They were non-believers. Praise God that later on, 
we know at least James believed in him and wrote a letter and he became a leader of the church, right? So his brothers did not even believe in him. John chapter 7, verse 5. You read the verses before, it tells you the context. In fact, they asked Jesus, Hello, my brother, can you please move your ministry and your business? Huh? Get out of Galilee and please go to Judea. Get, go, go and prove to people over there. Why? Don't do it here. Lah. We're having a lot of problems with you down here. See, so one possible reason is that they were frustrated, they were upset, they were malu, huh? So can I, Jesus, hello, can I speak to you? Can I have a word, please? You've got to stop this now. But how about Mary? I believe for Mary, the situation surrounding Jesus was getting more and more dangerous. Maybe Mary had a different objective. I mean, honor is one thing, but it's her son that might get into trouble. And as a mother, I mean, I've got mothers down here, mothers listening in, even when your, your, your child is... 55 years old, you still care for him. You still worry about him. You still love him, right? And you're always concerned. So, Jesus, can I, can I talk to you? Can you tone down a little bit? Can you please, you know, I, I'm, I'm concerned for you. I'm worried about you. Is it possible? I think so. Let's flash back. Remember this guy called Simeon? When Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple, there's this prophet and he prophesies over Jesus as the Christ. And he said this to Mary, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. People will be impacted both positively and negatively. And Mary, you will not be exempted. It will also impact you. And so if you imagine the tension in a mother's heart, on one hand, her child is the Messiah destined for greatness, and at the same time, she can expect great persecution, great pain, and also death. How would you respond? Well, we don't know the exact reason. These are just things that we speculate. But in any case, they didn't budge in, they didn't create a bigger scene that would have made even greater headlines. Jesus' family opposes him. Family feud in Capernaum, in Galilee. So they did not. So you must give them credit. At least they stood outside and said, Hello, when you have time, can I talk to you? And so the message is passed over to Jesus, and Jesus responds. But he doesn't give the answer that you would expect. Looking at this right now, I can just imagine Jesus breaking into an annoying smile, you know. I mean, he knows what he's going to answer, right? So there's this smile that's upon his face, and then he poses a question, and then he pauses. And this is a true rabbinic style, you see. He answers the question with another question, catching you off guard, making you go, huh, and making you think. But he already knows what the answer is, and he says, who is my mother, and who are my brothers? I think if you were there that day, you were like, excuse me? This guy is really crazy. I mean, you can't even recognize your own mother as well as your brothers. But Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He got the people's attention. It was a teaching moment. Get this? It was a teaching moment and Jesus wasn't going to let it pass. And so he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, Here are my mother and here are my brothers. And he was trying to bring an answer there and bring a teaching to the people out there to say, I know these are my family members, but can I share with you another family that you need to understand? 
Can I introduce to you members of my other family? Then this family is of a higher order. It's a kingdom family. It's a family of faith. And so he points to the disciples, and this one term called disciples, usually we would think that there would be 12 disciples. All 12 of them were Jews, and it represented the 12 tribes representing a new Israel. Jesus was commissioning a new Israel, bringing in a new family, because the present Israel did not fulfill her kingdom assignment. They presumed their covenant privileges, but they had no faith relationship with God. They had outward religiosity, but inwardly they were empty. This was hardly family. So if you look at the disciples as 12 members, then you would see this as a new Israel. But can we consider that they possibly might be more than just the 12? Because Jesus, although he moved with the 12, there were others who were also following Jesus. Don't just think it's the 12. There are these special 12, but there are others who were also disciples. And it's funny, if it's just 12, he goes, Here, this is my mother, and they are my brothers, and the 12 guys will go, which one is the mother? And so I want to suggest to you, perhaps there were more disciples down there, and it would represent both male and female followers of Jesus. The disciples would have comprised of the original 12, and perhaps there were also more, and they were both male as well as female followers. Well, whether is it 12 or is it more than 12, Jesus referred to all of them as disciples. And simply the term disciples would be believers and followers of Jesus Christ. They believed, and that's why they followed, and Jesus said, these are my disciples. Jesus' disciples were a family of faith. And Jesus' kingdom family is made up of disciples. Now, these two things are important. If you're going to be in the family of Jesus, in his kingdom family, number one, it has to be a family of faith. Number two, it's not just a family of faith, this is a family of disciples. Because he pointed to the disciples. This is very important. Now hold this thought for a moment because I want to go deeper in this. See, God's family has always been a family of faith. Don't think that Jesus comes on the scene and he changes the rules. No, he didn't. In fact, he came and he restated all these things because that family had already missed what it meant to be a family of God. God's family has always been a family of faith. Who did it start with? It started with Abraham. It is said that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And Abraham was regarded as the father of faith. Now God's promise to Abraham to be the father of many nations. Listen to this, right? In you all the families will be blessed. In other words, you will be the father of many nations, not just the nation of Israel. This will be fulfilled through a specific descendant, through a specific seed, capital S, and his name would be Jesus. You want a biblical reference for this? You go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now this part is important because it goes on, or I will go on to then say, Abraham's physical descendants, i.e. his seeds, small s, 
were also part of God's family. These were all natural descendants. But they were not there because of the covenant. They had to be there because of faith still. It has to be faith all the time. But they treated themselves as covenant people. They were given the law. They took pride in the law. But in Romans chapter 4, verse 14, Paul made this very clear. For if those who are of the law are heirs, in other words, if the law is the one that makes you an heir, then faith is made void and a promise made of no effect. So if you hold on to the law and you don't believe anything, but you just follow the law and just keep to this, it doesn't make you any more family of God. It has to be by faith because God's family has always been a family of faith. Then we ask, then what was the law for? Galatians tells us, right? The law was only a guardian, a tutor, a steward that would point to Christ. The law was there to show Israel the place of faith and grace until Jesus came to set them free from the curse of the penalty of the law. Do you understand what that statement means? Because if you follow the law to this T, you're going to die. But every time they couldn't keep that law, grace was always there for them. Can you see this? And faith, as long as they keep believing, God will always be there for them. It wasn't the law that brought them into things. It was the law that pointed to finally Jesus that would have to die for them to set them free from this curse of the law. You see, all the way, all along, it has always been faith as well as grace. And that's why Galatians records in chapter 4, verses 4 to 5, at the right time, Jesus was born under the law to redeem those under the law. And by dying, He rendered the old covenant obsolete and established a new covenant. See, God's family has always been a family of faith. And now through Jesus, God's invitation to His family now is open to everyone. Anyone who would believe as Abraham did. Now this is not a new discovery, right? I already shared this view just now, that anyone who would believe in the God of Israel, they were welcomed and accepted into God's family. And so through Jesus now, God throws this invitation open wide, no longer just for the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Everyone and anyone through Jesus, if you believe in this one seed called Jesus, you can come into this family. Romans chapter 4 verse 16, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. Anyone who believes just like Abraham he will become the father of us all. You don't work to get into God's family. This is the truth. You believe. You believe by faith so that it is entirely according to grace that the promise is sure. This one line from Romans chapter 4, verse 16 is so precious. You believe that may be according to grace. You don't work to become someone's descendant. You believe to become God's seed. And so as you believe in the seed, i.e. Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, that you may become the seed, small s, a faith descendant of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 
See, all this is to show us that God's family has always been a family of faith. You know, we as Christians, we always talk about salvation. Even salvation is expressed in family terms. How does this happen? How do we become God's family? We become God's family by birth and by adoption. These are salvation terms. Sometimes as a young Christian, I I scratch my head. Are we saved? Are we redeemed? Are we bought or are we born? All. It's just different pictures to let you understand the different aspects. So for example, those who are Jews, if you are born into a natural family, and now you want to get into a spiritual family, you've got to die first before you can be reborn. That's why you notice the conversation that Jesus had was with Nicodemus. He was a Jew. He didn't tell Nicodemus, you'd have to be adopted. It doesn't make sense to Nicodemus, you see. He has to tell Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. He said, wait, wait, hang on. I'm born in the correct line. I know you're born in this line, yes. But to stay in this family of faith that comes by the covenant, and you want to understand this now, you've got to be reborn by faith, and you get into the correct spiritual royal lineage. But to the Gentiles, and Paul writes a lot to the Gentiles, he uses a different word. He says, now you are adopted. Why? Because the Gentiles were not born into this lineage, you see. We were outside of the lineage. At the same time, if you work in a Jewish household, you're not in the lineage. To come into that family, you need to be adopted. And when you're adopted into the family, you become sons and daughters. You have full rights and privileges as if you were born. So whether you're a Jew or whether a Gentile, you know, the word born and the word adoption means the same thing. You come into the family and you have sons and your daughters. You get all the rights and all the privileges. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 2, beautiful passage, go back and read it. Paul declares you were aliens, you were strangers, you were foreigners, you were uncircumcised, but now you are members of God's household. Through what? By what? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, whether you are born or whether you are adopted, either way, it is by the Holy Spirit. We have to be born of the Spirit. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. At the same time, we receive the Spirit of adoption. So whether you are born or whether you are adopted, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, whether you are born or whether you are adopted, it's all by grace through faith. No one deserves anything or you can boast in anything. No one can give birth to yourself or herself or himself. No one can force any parent to adopt anyone. You cannot go to a parent and say, you better adopt me, huh? I'm very good, you know. I score six A's. My GPA is four. You don't deserve anything, you understand? You believe in this family and the family says, okay, by grace, we bring you in. And so because of this, there's no longer two groups of different families or nations anymore. There's only one spiritual kingdom in and through Christ, and we are referred to as one new man. One new man. A new humanity. This is one new family. And God is the Father of all who believe. See, I'm taking time to share this with you because I want you to be so convinced that God's family has always been a family of faith. The kingdom family is the family of faith. But what do you understand by faith? Is faith just believe and that's it, Lord? 
Just believe and finish and then we're not, now God's family already. You notice Jesus didn't stop there. He goes on, he says, Now here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of the Father. Now the disciples have already believed. So he didn't say for whoever believe. He didn't say that. He said whoever does the will. Because a family of faith who believes would also know and would also do the Father's will. And Jesus, as the big brother, will set the tone and the example. Twelve years old in Jerusalem. He gets lost in that sense, right? The parents come back and look for him. And he looks at them and he says, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Now, if you were Joseph, you're like, excuse me, there are tables and chairs to be made. But Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Now, does it mean, oh, don't care about my physical family? No, in the next verse, Scripture records, Jesus went back and was subject to his parents. The Father's will is a main theme in Jesus' life and teaching. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, who has to do that? The family, the children, the descendants, you follow? Because we do the Father's business. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Hey, Chop, I thought I'm kingdom family. Leh. I believe what? Not everyone, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He closes the Sermon on the Mount. There's a wise man, there's a foolish man. The foolish one is someone, you know, who builds a house on sand. This is the one who hears, say, I believe. I so touched, I got goosebumps, got revelation, but does nothing with it. But the wise one is the one that builds on rock. And this is the one who hears and who does. This is a standard theme and a thread that goes throughout. So Jesus, when he says believe, you can almost tell yourself it also means to do. When you read the Bible, when Jesus, you believe in me. Yes, it works out to do. You, it's, we are a family of faith, but once we believe who our Father is, we know His will and we do His will. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus as the big brother sets the tone and he gives us the example and so do we just believe only no there's work to be done why because disciples do the will of the master and the father's will you can call it the will of god you can call it the will of the lord but jesus today is our lord the father has given all authority to his son jesus so as we are sons and daughters of God, we listen now to our big brother. So whatever Jesus says goes. We follow his example. As disciples, we follow him as our master. We obey him. What he says to us, we do. But we are in a kingdom family. And so as kingdom subjects, we are now subjected to whom? The king. Jesus again. I'm sorry you can't run away from this one. So you listen to the king and what the king says Goes. We align ourselves with the purposes of our King. I hope you are getting this. Because it's an important thing for us to understand and also to be convinced about. There's a question we have to ponder. 
if I'm not doing the will of the Father, then the same way as Jesus challenged the Jews to say, I know you're physical descendants, but you're not following your Father. So He can also say to us, I know you say you believe, but you're not following the will of your Father. You're not doing it. So are you sure you are really a descendant or not? So this is a question we must ponder and we must wrestle with. Because I believe, as we say we believe, and if our faith is genuine, then there's an expectation that our faith must be worked out. And our faith then must be evidence to the lives that we live and the things that we do. Now all this, you notice, is just background. All this is really just to give a teaching what a family of faith is all about. It's like I'm going to close right now, but I've only just begun. So we ask ourselves, so which family comes first, right? I mean, the way Jesus answered, which one comes first? Well, very clearly, the kingdom family takes precedence. The purposes of the kingdom has priority. There are many nations, there are many races, there are many ethnic groups. But for you and for me, only one thing is important. There's only one chosen race, one royal priesthood, one holy nation. And this race is called a one new man in Jesus Christ. This is where we pledge our allegiance to, we believe in, and we do the works of this kingdom and for this king. Meaning to say the kingdom family takes priority, not our family heritage, not our family name, not our social class. All that is immaterial if you now know you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God, that you belong to Jesus and His kingdom. We serve the King and His kingdom. We don't serve humanism. You know, today there's this humanistic thought that man is good within themselves and we can save the world as long as we love one another in that sense. If you want to follow humanism, it's rooted in Adam. We are in Christ. It's not about any other kingdom. It's not about nationalism. It's not about patriotism. It's kingdom first, Jesus first. It's not whether you use iPhone or whether you buy Huawei. <laughs> it's not America or whether it's China. I mean, we are ethnically all Chinese down here, most of us. It's not even about Singapore whether we will survive for another 50 years or not. It doesn't matter which ruling party. I'm serious about this. I'm proud to be a Singaporean, but if and when we are forced to choose, we align with the kingdom of God. This is recorded. I'm saying this clearly. Is that amen? So don't get a nationalistic fervor. And by that, I do not mean don't care about Singapore. That's not my point, right? Because if we understand a kingdom value, we would be a blessing to any nation that we are in. God's kingdom family supersedes and outlasts every other family and every other kingdom. Because finally, every kingdom will become the kingdoms of the Lord and Christ. Now this is what we have to understand, you see. So make sure you're in the right family in Christ because God's will and His purposes will have priority. Now let me quickly share some practical points what this might look like and what it means. When we put kingdom first and when we put kingdom family first, the first thing you want to understand is we love Jesus more. He said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
in Matthew, it sounds nicer, right? Because in Luke, it says that if you don't hate your family members, it sounds very terrible. Lah. But if you understand the language of those days, what Jesus is really saying is, love me more. I have priority. We are not asking you to throw away these people or be a terrible person to your natural family. But love me more. It has to be this. That has to be the order of the day. But as you love Jesus more, and we are in kingdom family, we have to learn how to love one another. Because now we are brothers and we are sisters in Christ. And as we do that, we submit to a higher kingdom order and a purpose. Jesus said to his disciples, remember kingdom family? We're all disciples, right? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then don't just stop at that love one another. You know, it's so broad, right? You can go back and check all your other one another and each other verses. To love one another means to forgive one another. Say amen. Very soft. <laughs> you have to be kind to one another. Comfort. Bearing up with one another. Honor one another. Edify each other. Exhort one another. Confess our sins to one another. Pray for one another. Have compassion for one another. Serve one another. If we would do this one another a little bit better, do you think the kingdom family begins to shine a little bit more? What's our problem? We're not seeing and loving one another as kingdom family, you see. But as you do this, then do not complain against one another. Do not grumble against one another. Do not slander each other. Do not stumble each other. That one loud amen. But even as you do this to love one another, then God says, provoke one another to love and to good works. Be willing to correct one another. Discipline each other. Rebuke if you have to. Today, if you do that, nah, ayo, you're so judgmental one. The one no sin cast the first stone. You know, we always talk like this these days. We don't understand. We are submitted to a higher kingdom order to love Jesus first and then to love one another. But as you do that, remember to look out for each other. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, specifically in verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And this is not just on your financial means or, you know, you need help in that. No, you have to treat one another with respect and honor. And I like what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And I think we can learn a lot from this one passage here. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. With all purity. Look out for one another, especially those who can't fend for themselves, the poor and the needy, the children, the widows, the orphans. But Paul also had strong words for those who are rebellious, who are lazy, who are busybodies. You don't look out for these. In fact, you look out for these and you stay away from these ones. He says, don't keep company with them. But you don't treat them as enemies, Paul said. But you admonish these as brothers and sisters. So sometimes... Some people in the body of Christ need a strong word because we love them as a brother or a sister. Now, this is within the body of Christ. If kingdom comes first, if Jesus comes first, then there must be a willingness to leave and even to lose. 
a willingness to leave family, to leave comfort, to leave security for the sake of Jesus. And there are two types of leaving here. One is a positive leaving. In other words, the family members give you their blessings. You want to serve Jesus? It's all right, go. You want to spend three months out of town serving Jesus, going around the world, preaching the gospel? Okay, you go. They release you. You must be willing to leave, and that's a positive leaving. But there's also a negative leaving where perhaps you don't have the blessing, but the Lord has said very clearly to you, this is what you must do. And painfully, you may have to leave. But when you do that, you are ready to lose everything. Because in Matthew 10, verse 21, Jesus says, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and the father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You're prepared to lose family relationships. You're prepared for ties even to be broken. For you to lose family inheritance because certain families will not recognize you anymore. And you're prepared to lose your life. Have you read of countries or religions where they practice honor killings? You're prepared to die because Jesus comes first. But what about our families then? Does it mean that we all bought up them, don't care? You know? Is this what Jesus is really saying? And I say no. As far as it's possible, we do not neglect the families. They're not neglected by the kingdom, but the families are submitted to the higher of the kingdom. Now, why do I know this is true and this is biblical? You read the entire Old Testament, you read the Proverbs. God's laws and commandments uphold family. The Spirit of the law is always there, amen? Right? God says in the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. In fact, there are very strict laws that parents, you're supposed to teach your children, grandparents, even all the way through the next generation, and children who are rebellious, they're actually to be stoned. Thank God we don't do that anymore. You know why? Because there was a son who died for us. Jesus died for us so that we don't have to do that anymore. See, the focus is not on the family name. The focus is to love and to serve God for the glory of His name and His kingdom. And that's why we have to be like Joshua when he said, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's not for my name, it's not for this, it's not for that. It is for the kingdom. So it's not that we neglect the family. No, we submit the family to a higher order of the kingdom. If you don't believe me, you can read in the New Testament, Paul in Ephesians, the first part, he talks about how we are members of God's spiritual family. God is the Father. We have to imitate God as little children. When he finishes that part, he gives very practical examples to the natural family. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. You see that? There's a place for both the spiritual family as well as the physical family. In fact, I want to say this, that if you are really a kingdom person, if you are truly a disciple of Jesus Christ, living your life for Him and according to kingdom ways, you will become a better family member to your natural family. If you are a disciple first, you should become a better father and a better mother. If you are a disciple first, then you should be a better son and a better daughter. You should be a better grandparent, a better uncle, a better auntie, because now you have kingdom values. But if you are not, then something is not correct. There are just so many teachings in the New Testament about the natural family that time will not allow us to unpack. That will be your homework. 
My part today is to share with you and to let you know that really God's kingdom family, the values and our allegiance to King Jesus takes priority. And once you begin to understand that and even exercise that in the spiritual family and also in the natural family, you will see things change for the glory of His name. So as I bring this to a close, whilst we agree and acknowledge that Jesus and kingdom have priority, it is not as straightforward to simply answer which one comes first and which one comes second, right? Between kingdom family and also our natural family. And listen to this, don't miss this one. Sometimes... Sometimes, kingdom assignments for the kingdom will require sacrificing time with the family. And yet, sometimes, kingdom assignments may mean looking after the natural family for the glory of God. Can I have an amen? Right? So, both work out at the same time. The question is, which one is it? You need wisdom, you need discernment, and at times you need courage, you need strength to know how the Lord is leading you to serve both the kingdom family as well as the natural family. So I want to close by honoring and appreciating the kingdom family that I'm in. And as you look at this picture, these are archipuses. And we all come from different churches. In other words, we come from different local backgrounds. We can be from different oikoses if you want to talk about that. But we serve alongside one another. And I've had the privilege of being looked out for or looked after by many of these brothers and sisters time and time again. And my prayer is that you find your kingdom family members that you can hang out with. Not to get into a comfort zone, but that you can cheer each other on to do the Father's will on kingdom assignment. At the same time, I honor my home church, Full Gospel Assembly, Although I don't serve very actively in this home church, I'm usually not here on weekends, I'm preaching somewhere. It is wonderful to know that my church leaders and some members, they graciously and readily release me for the work of the kingdom. They love me, they support me and my family, and they look out for us in ways that they know how to. And this is kingdom family. But as I honor my kingdom family, I also want to honor my natural family. And my parents, I know, they are totally behind me. I mean, they've always supported me. And now with a higher kingdom purpose, they continue to do that even with a greater cause and a greater focus in that. As I serve the Lord in the work of the ministry, they're they are behind me, whether they're in Singapore, out of Singapore. You know, whenever there's a function or when I'm preaching, I get a text, you know, praying for you, you know, standing with you, although we can't be there for you. But if my dad or mom called and I'm preaching and there was an emergency then I know I have your understanding to stop this teaching right now and attend to that emergency. Would that be okay? I want to honor my wife also. My wife is totally supportive of my kingdom assignment and she allows me the time and the space to do all that is needed. But that has often meant time and many, many nights away from her and also the children. Now as she supports me in my assignment, I must also support her in hers. And my part is to remind myself, to acknowledge I'm still a husband, and that's also a kingdom assignment, and I must never neglect her needs. And God knows, and I'm confessing this on record, God knows that I failed many, many times in this area. I'm just thankful I have a 
very understanding and a forgiving wife, but that doesn't mean I should take her for granted. I want to honour my children also. That early on, I've, I committed as I went to the full-time ministry, I said I would never take an engagement on my children's birthday unless absolutely necessary. As the number of children increased, that became harder and harder. <laughs> but so far, I think I've done okay in this area and I've made up for the slack by working harder before and after. In fact, there was a time when I was scheduling certain things around their birthdays. There was a word that came back through a few months and years and came to my ears. And they said, you know, Hanson is not putting Jesus first. Hanson put his family first. And when I heard that, my heart just sank because it hurt. You know, um, but that gave me a chance to learn how to forgive. The truth is, it is not easy finding the right balance all the time. And I think as parents, we struggle when we serve in the work of the ministry. As much as we want the children to know that Jesus takes priority and there will be sacrifices to be made for the kingdom, we also want them to know that they are dearly, dearly loved by us. And that at the end of the day, it's not Daddy trying to build his kingdom or my agenda or Serene's agenda or our personal dreams or their personal dreams. It is the purposes of the kingdom. And I challenge you, when that priority is settled and it's agreed and we're aligned to that same priority, we all learn how to adjust. We all learn how to make room for one another because we are serving a higher kingdom cause. That is why it is helpful that family members all know and all love and all serve Jesus. Because it's only then that's easier, easier, I didn't say it's easier, easier to submit to one another and support each other as we do the Father's will. And so I don't know where your families are, where you are in that family, in your physical families. And I know we all face challenges. I'm praying that you will find that sweet spot, that right balance, that right alignment with one another. But even if it should be difficult, may we always remember that Jesus, we love Him more. And we follow Him and we'll do whatever He tells us to do. And may He give us grace, may He give us wisdom, may He give us strength to do what's necessary. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You for this word by our Lord Jesus. Thank You for showing us what it means to be Your son and Your daughter. The Lord, we came in by faith, but Lord, as we say we believe, then we line up with you, Lord, to know your will and to know our place, that we understand our kingdom assignments, that we may be faithful to know it and to fulfill it. And Lord, I pray for every person here and everyone listening in. We all face different challenges and different struggles, maybe with our parents, maybe with our spouses, maybe with our children and maybe with others or even within the church family. Lord, will you help us? Perhaps we need to repent. Perhaps we need to adjust and we need to align. Maybe our expectations are wrong. Will you correct us? And may we live for you so that we can live alongside one another that finally the name of Jesus will always be glorified and you will receive all honor and all praise. And so we thank you and we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.